Hi, welcome to Food Cube, the podcast where smart women talk about what they're watching and not watching. I'm Amanda Toysher. And I'm Sarah Whitus. Uh, we are coming to you at the tail, almost tail end of the long, long Thanksgiving holiday, at least. I mean, yours might have been a little me. longer than mine. Mine was long. <laughs> mine is still going on. <laughs> yeah. Mine is still going on. I mine is am... still going on insofar as I have leftover pie in my refrigerator, but... Oh, yeah. I am like we've had we've had we had so much food we had uh, nineteen people at our Thanksgiving. Um, some oh, that sounds nice though. It was nice. Some some more um, anticipated than others, uh, but it was it was nice. Um, it was a lot of family in town and and uh, and just a lot of a lot of entertaining. A lot of. Uh, exhausting questions from from the elderly um but but it was but it was nice i'm kind of i've been uncomfortably full for about six days now so i'm kind of ready for thanksgiving to be over um but but it was but it was nice you know i'm gonna get in this is some foreshadowing something i'm going to talk about later in the episode, but um, I also made three Bon Appetit Thanksgiving recipes. Still do not understand at all this yeah. thing, so this is we're gonna get into Bon to Appetit. That. Gonna get into Bon Appetit, um, but let me just tell you, they were all hits. All three. Did you of find them. the corn nuts? I did find the corn nuts. I was. I found. For corn I nuts. meant to send you a picture. I was at Whole Foods after we talked last, and. There were corn nuts on full display. Really? They did not have them in downtown Silver Spring. If we are thinking of the same corn nuts. They're like, like they nuts look that are like, like made from corn. Yeah, they yeah, they look like giant like, kind of big Yeah, that you get in like kernels. Ba- in bars in Madrid. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that is them. They did not have them in the downtown Silver Spring, Maryland Whole Foods, which is the only one I went to, but we did get um, a bag of Doritos flavored ones from Seven Eleven, and then actually our friend stop. Uh, they're yeah. Doritos flavored <laughs> corn nuts. Yeah, they're tiny though. They're not like the like I think they're a little smaller than normal corn nuts. Um, did you just like wash off all the Dorito flavor? Oh no, we use them. <laughs> <laughs> Use them as Doritos flavored. Um, as the Pilgrims intended. Exactly. I don't think it, it actually didn't make as big a difference as I was hoping it would in the actual recipe. But um, and then we also uh, shout out to uh, uh, our friend Vicky, um, who pointed me in the direction of Trader Joe's, which sells giant Peruvian corn nuts. <laughs> um, and they're like big corn nuts. They're like half an inch wide. Um, and they are delicious. Um, and used an entire bag of those in the recipe as well. And then you're supposed to, there's a separate recipe for then turning this stuffing into um, fried rice afterwards, which Ooh. I really wanted to do, but um, then didn't just didn't get all the ingredients to do it while I was actually Thanksgiving shopping. So that gives me something to look forward to for next year. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this recipe. Yeah, it was good. It, the Doritos. <laughs> it's a, it's a sausage um, stuffing recipe, but it would be very easy to make uh, without the sausage or with other, some kind of other substitute meat. Doritos. Still be good. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just add four times as many Doritos. Um, and then, and then you're set. 
Um, <laughs> so gross. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely kind of disgusting, but delicious. Uh, we also had to have, put like a pound of Jimmy Dean's breakfast sausage in there because we couldn't find anything else at the grocery store. <laughs> but, um, but it was a hit. So I'm going to get into more, more Bon Appetit uh, later in this episode. But still. Cool. Yeah. They improved well, my Thanksgiving. I mean, I, my Thanksgiving was less adventurous with food. I went to our friend Lindsay's and there was all the hits. There were just, it was turkey, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, and a salad, and mac and cheese. And mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is something we don't do at our Thanksgiving, but I'm constantly it on seems the like verge it's a of southern introducing thing. it. I mean, I, it's like my favorite food in the world. I mean, it's, it's like, perfect. It's a great, it's a great Thanksgiving thing, but I do think it's Southern. We never had mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. No, it was never Ohio. even, not even a... I didn't hear about that as being like a staple until I moved to DC. Yeah, I think same until I like met people who were like really from, from like all over. Yeah, I think I also had no idea that people didn't. I'm on board with like Southern Thanksgiving. I think sweet potato pie is better than pumpkin. Mashed, mashed potatoes is great, but it's like you should also have mac and cheese. Yeah. yeah. The only the only qualm I have I think with mac and cheese is I like the I like Thanksgiving dishes that I don't really ever eat any other time of year and I eat mac and cheese like three times a month. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's one <more>? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. I could just make I mean, it one I eat more salads. and that's fine. That's true. Eat, Although we I do eat, like I a don't squashy brag, salad. But I eat salads like at least once a month. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although we don't do all, all the time. So you know, we I, don't normally do like food. a main salad. Honestly, there's very little green on our table. <laughs> it's mostly beige foods. That's the point of Thanksgiving. Yeah, I agree. My my aunt did a trio of coleslaws this year. Um, um, <laughs> it was three different coleslaws. <laughs> it's three different coleslaws. Um, they were quite good, um, but like, yeah, we don't. And I did a salad. I did one of the one of the things I did for Bon Appetit was a was a salad. It was a radicchio and uh, and squash salad. So radicchio, not something I would normally just pick up. Radicchio is so good. It was good. Yeah, especially there was a we I made like a my cousin made a. Um, it was like the the dressing for it was like a kind of lemon maple pecan uh, dressing that was delicious um, that I would make any time of year. So it's a hit. Thank you, Bon Appetit, for helping me out. Bon when I made my pies, I made apple and pie, pie and blueberry ginger. Ooh, that's nice. Which is my favorite. And that's the nice. blueberry ginger came out really good, except on the Metro... I took the metro to Lindsay's because I support public transportation even on Thanksgiving Day, mm-hmm. and it was a mistake to support public transportation on Thanksgiving, <laughs> Thanksgiving while you're Day. carrying two uh, pies in very heavy glass pie dishes, oh, like glass. hanging from plastic bags from each wrist. Because let me tell you what I and I also was wearing heeled boots, um, so I had a really fun Ambitious. experience getting onto the escalator. It's really hard to do that when you're like holding two pies like away from you like not against you you have two bags and you're holding them like out you know and then you have you can't grab onto the railing and you're on heels and you have to just kind of like i was like well this is how i die yeah no one gets any pie (laughs) no one gets any pie except for the emts who come to yeah, the metro like, well, station we to revive to you. We don't know where she was going. Yeah, but <laughs> it was really scary, but I made it. And then I took the metro home, and I was just so pleased with myself. 
That's, that, you know, you're... But I had less pie to carry. <laughs> that's true. Actually, and I saw on the Bon Appetit, uh, uh, I saw there's a Bon Appetit endorsed product that is, like, for carrying things that are in, like, a... You know, if you put stuff that's, like, in a, in a pie tin-shaped, you know, container and you just put it in a bag, it's, like... You know, you risk it, like, yeah. going all lopsided. Yeah, that um, happened to the blueberry. I should send you. They have these bags um, that are... Send it to me. Yeah, that are for carrying things that are flat. Genius. Um, please send. And also, I've realized now we've been talking for eight minutes. Hey, yeah, we're going to get into food, the television. And this is not a cooking podcast. <laughs> at least right now, we're going to get into the cooking portion of our podcast. Yeah. Okay. This is just the intro, and I feel like we should... All right, well, it was banter. It was banter time. Yeah. But this is great because actually, you know why we're doing it is because I'm drinking from Amy's Troy and Abed in the morning mug. Yes. And yes. it's like our own morning talk show because it's fucking morning. You're making me do this in the morning, Sarah. <laughs> no. I just want to point out that this year I'm thankful that Sarah doesn't make me record the podcast every time in the morning. In the morning. No, this is a rare occasion. You know, at holidays, I'm, I have very little control over my own time and schedule. <laughs> so I, you know, gotta like, yeah, she's like, Friday, anytime before 11. I was like, Oh, God, Oh, God, <laughs> this is what this is what this weekend's gonna be. I know I'm making I'm making Amanda be awake before 10 on a weekend. Like, let me be clear. It's 1030. Right now. It's fine. I do get up for work on time. <laughs> but like, it's, you know, it's day. a Saturday. It's a Saturday. Yeah. It's a little but it is Saturday. <laughs> It's a little different. Um, anyway, yes. So, in keeping with the theme of food. 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 That's my um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Twister impression. Food. He says, food. I did that once at a, a at a cookout at Katie and Lars's. I don't remember this scene. And, and I was like, does anyone know who I'm doing an impression of? Food. Food. And <laughs> Lars is just like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Twister. I have <laughs> seen I that movie like food. Six, probably like... I don't know, a dozen times. I can't I can't picture this. I can't picture the scene. Is it when they like go so, to his grandma's house or something? It when they go to her aunt Meg's house. Oh, aunt Meg. Okay, I was trying to like, I was like, like who's the, the old she's person like, We're not and who are they connected my to? Aunt, and they're all like we we crave sustenance. We need red meat and then they just start chanting food in like like Philip Seymour Hoffman is like food. Right. Food. And then aunt Meg gets like swept away in a twister. No, she's saved. Her house gets destroyed. Her house gets her destroyed. Her and her doggy are fine. Yeah, okay. The Twisters that are following them throughout this movie, which is normally mm-hmm. what happens with Twisters. So we should also move on because I literally could recite the entire movie to you, <laughs> like the script, because I started This is now a podcast about they the 1996 like, <laughs> Helen Hunt yeah, film, was, Twister. <laughs> yeah, this is my Twister podcast. Um, okay, tell me about Bon Appetit. Um, okay, Bon Appetit. Um, so I had kind of a couple of themes with my television viewing over the last, uh, over the last month, uh, one of which was food, <laughs> food, and, uh, food. one of which was the Japanese. Um, but this, uh, this, this particular, um, this particular endeavor only concerned the food portion. So I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast yet, but I am growing a human child inside of me now well that's a Um, disgusting way to put it (laughs) it's growing it's not quite a child but it's you know it's like teetering on the edge of child and fetus um my coworker recently was just like she she just gave birth like a a month ago she's on maternity leave now but she she was saying she's like this is such a stupid way to do it she had her second child and she's just like i just don't i don't understand why we do it this way why yeah everything about everything about it so far is exhausting um 
and I felt pretty sick for several weeks and luckily no longer feel super sick. But over the last several weeks, I did, the sickness just turned into um, flat out exhaustion. <laughs> so it... Can I ask if you've watched the new Ali Wong special? I haven't, but I've, people have told Can me to. Can I ask to. that you wait until <laughs> you've given birth? Yeah. <laughs> well, people were kind of like divided, but she also wrote a book recently that I know yeah. also kind of, no, is like about the horrors of childbirth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would just, might you just know, it might be cathartic on when, when you're pregnant. Yeah. In, like nursing. Um, when this is all something it, that we can look back before. and laugh on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> laugh about. Yeah. Maybe we'll save. Save yeah, That's just my advice then. to you. I just watched it last night with our friend Dave. <laughs> and and I should hold off on that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's actually good to hold know. off. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is, I just, you know, I was very tired. It's a, the fetus is leeching your energy. It's uh, away from you. Um, and so I didn't really have the energy for like anything involving um sustained plot lines <laughs> um it's, i think it's so interesting that like you rubber band between like such you you really like intense like highbrow stuff a lot of the time or like really deep things you know um true and then and then if you can't watch like that you're just like well i guess i've got to watch cooking shows right totally like, it doesn't occur to you to just watch like a stupid murder mystery or like a comedy or something no you know and i kind of tried you know to just like watch some comedies like we'll talk you know we can talk a little bit about um the good place but i might have to talk about that more in our next episode because i am not totally caught up but oh, i no. I yeah i, I i've oh, seen a few it, i've seen a few i'm like i'm probably three episodes behind um okay, okay. so i'm not well, like you're gonna have i look totally forward to talking about it with you and i'm jealous yeah. of you because they're really good episodes i agree i agree i think they started out a little slow but i think they've they've picked no, up these were like really um fun. but like even that i just didn't have the I just didn't have the, I couldn't pay. I also have falling asleep at like 8.30, you know, and I'm like ready to go to bed at like 6.30. So like it really just didn't. That's like, <laughs> listeners, this is hardly that weird. Not that, yeah. I mean, true. And it's it's not just a couple different. hours early. It's true. But you know, it's like kind of. But that is a that is a big chunk of your evening. It is a big chunk of the evening, and it's like the mental energy is just not yeah, there. Yeah, it's the TV time. Yeah. So I was kind of like, okay, I don't want to watch anything that has like a real plot, but um, I had also seen Twitter's been, you know, over the last like year, several months. I've seen a lot of Bon Appetit chatter on on Twitter, uh, the magazine Bon Appetit, and people kind of talking about different people in the Bon Appetit verse. Um, and so then a few earlier this month in November, um, Bobby Finger, one of our favorite podcast hosts and, uh, and writers, um, he wrote a piece for Jezebel that was basically delving into the, as he called it, I'm not sure if he coined this, but I'm just going to say that he did the uh, Bon Appetit cinematic universe. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> it's so good. And it's so, it sums it up so well. Um, and, you know, basically what we're talking about here is the Bon Appetit YouTube channel, and which is, you know, totally free. All the programming on it is, is free. This you website don't, is free. I mean, well, you know, you kind of think like maybe, you know, with like, you know, you got a New York Times situation maybe where you have, there's like a paywall. And of course you have to pay to subscribe to Bon Appetit, the magazine. Um, but really- Are there advertisements? There are advertisements, but I mean, okay. they're like 15 seconds long. You know, it's yeah. like that. It's not like you're generally sitting through- you know, two and a half minutes of Hulu commercials. So, um, 
But I mean, it's kind of surprising, honestly. I mean, and also if you go to Bon Appetit's website, there's essentially there's no paywall. I mean, it's basically all of the content that's in the magazine is is on the website. Um, and surprising because Condé Nast is, of course, a <laughs> failing media empire. <laughs> but um, basically what's going on in the in the Bon Appetit cinematic universe is like, I mean, it's like a slate of programming. I mean, it's a bunch of different shows. And I think it's Bobby says in the article that it's difficult to describe any of them in a way in which you could possibly make anyone want yeah, to it's watch hard them me. I, I like made you send me a couple and then I never got around to watch I think that if you, I do think if I need you start, to actually just watch it yeah I, because that's what happened to me I had no interest until I was like well I have nothing else to do I'm just gonna watch one cue four hours later um and is it the same sort of mesmerizing thing as like the great british it is show it is although it's it's less it's like you're not making it at the same time as them so what is exactly and it's not instructional you know which is which which uh big off is is also not you know instructional you're just watching someone oh okay you know do it i mean there are instructional videos like there are like you know make x thing um if you want to just watch that but most of the programming is is not instructional um so it is kind of just like the the drama of watching someone attempt a thing and either they succeed or fail yeah so it's similar although you know i would say there's more of an american sensibility of course in terms of like the perfectionism sort of and also the Hmm. like you know you mean perfectionism well i guess i mean that's not true i guess because i'm putting up and on 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 bake off they're pretty you know they're obviously they're they're trying you know very hard to um you know yeah they're aiming for perfect they're aiming for perfect it's true it's true i guess what you have with this is like it's the same sort of cathartic reaction you get to like watching someone sort of try something and it goes horribly wrong and then they kind of have to try and pick themselves up and try again. But in the end, you know, they're their only judges, really. You know, there's no like yeah. outside. I mean, some of the episodes do have other Bon Appetit people kind of judging their um, final results. But I mean, the, the kind of gateway drug here is a show called Gourmet Makes, um, which, you know, the whole... Um, universe is populated just by Bon Appetit um, editors and so the real joy here you know I think similarly to a a bake-off kind of situation is the people you know and like what how they interact with each other and how you kind of get to know them over the course of the the shows and so Gourmet Makes stars uh, one of the editors Claire Saffitz um, and she works tirelessly to recreate gourmet kind of gourmet-ish versions of just like you know drugstore snack foods um like pringles skittles yeah and it's like and and so the episode started out being like 15 minutes long and they've gotten (laughs) some of them are almost an hour now um (laughs) as which makes sense as they i mean you look at the the shows on this channel and they all have all of them millions of views so that's i think the other reason that they don't necessarily need to put the stuff behind like a paywall is like you can actually make pretty decent ad money off of youtube if you're getting big big viewing numbers so you know they might not have to but um honestly claire is just like she's a perfectionist she usually takes you know it usually takes her three or four days to like literally like make i mean there's an episode where she's making just you know total 99 cent uh 
ramen from scratch, you know, like just, and the thing is that while the, um, she's making gourmet versions, whatever she's making needs to have all of the hallmarks of whatever the original version was. So if it can't be just like a take on it. Exactly. No, it needs to look like the original thing. So yeah. if it's ramen, it needs to be the freeze-dried noodles in a square, you know? Like, like anything anything different has to be invisible. Yeah, basically, exactly. But it can, but the point is that it will taste a lot better, not yeah, least of right. all because all of these things have 9 billion um, stabilizers and chemicals in them, and she's making versions that, you know, don't. I think something yeah. that I have learned from this show, honestly, because the, each episode starts with her reading the ingredients, um off of the back of whatever she's going to recreate. Oh god, I bet that's terrifying. It's terrifying and it's terrifying doubly because they always also put them all on the screen. So in a lot of instances you're like running out of space on the screen, you know. Oh my god. Yeah. Um something I've learned from this is that essentially every single snack food in America is loaded with palm oil, which I know is like horrifically oh, yeah, harvested. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like every single thing that she makes. Um, you know, so, but yeah, it has to look like the original thing. She doesn't use palm oil, does she? Uh, no, no, no. She doesn't use, no. She's using, like, only, you know, basically stuff that you would kind of, I mean, get, like, have in a... I feel like palm oil is actually hard to find for, like, cooking purposes. I feel like it must only be supplied to, like, factories and, like, large industrial quantities. Because I don't think I've ever seen it in a grocery store. I don't think I have either. I mean, I'm not... I mean, I'm sure you can get it on Amazon or whatever, but, like... It's, like, the same with, like, you know, um... Uh, what's what's the what's the super high fructose corn syrup? They're not like selling. <laughs> yeah, and you can like buy right. You can buy like regular corn syrup, and she'll use corn syrup and stuff, you know. But yeah, like, yeah, well, that's just. But everything in America, we use corn syrup. The amount of things that need like she does make Doritos in an episode. Like she the the amount of things that involve like her hacking some kind of tool. Like there's an episode where she's using a Dremel. Um, to, the heck is a Dremel? Like she's, I'm trying. Sounds to remember, like a creature. I'm trying to remember what she's using it for. She's like, she's like trying to. Oh man, she's like turning something into a. God, I'm wondering if this was for Pop Tarts, and she was trying to do the little like, um, little hash marks on the end. I'm trying to remember what that one was for, but it's like. She, it's just absolutely insane the amount of work that goes into these. Hey everyone, I'm Claire, and today I am making a gourmet version of Kit Kat, one of my favorites. So this is the classic four bar crispy wafers in milk chocolate. You get that little snap when you break one of the bars off. It has this sort of squared off base and then it tapers as you get to the top. It's really just a stack of three crisp wafers with chocolate in between. And I think another big key is this very, very fine, very uniform crosshatch waffle texture. That I think is gonna be challenging to, to get that texture because we don't have anything that's that fine in terms of a pattern. It's very, very crisp and crunchy. The only thing we have in the kitchen that I can think of that has that waffle texture was the bottoms of these springform pans. My idea of how to do this is to heat them up in the oven, grease them, put the batter onto them, and then stack them. I don't know, put them back in the oven until they're kind of baked through. Okay, so five minutes. Okay, 
It's definitely too thick. I need it to be very, very crisp. It has a cake-like consistency, which is not really what I'm going for. Um, okay, so this time I'm gonna add some cornstarch for that crisp texture and a higher portion of butter. Oh, that's melting all over the place. I have some ooze. Oh God. <laughs> oh no, oh no. <laughs> that did not work. Too much butter. I don't know. This is the time of day where I don't really care anymore. <laughs> oh, wait, let me think. Hold on. Let me think about it. I can't, I can't rush this process. Or wait, I have an idea. Let's take that batter from before and add some more cornstarch. Let's see what happens. My timer's going off. And no, <laughs> no, and we're done for today. And so oh, that's the other thing that's fun about this is like, again, this is not instructional. This is like, you're not ever in a million years going to make any of this stuff at home. The point no, is not, although she does end each episode with like, here's how you do it. And it takes four minutes to like go through all <laughs> of the insane steps. But I mean, so there's that show. Then you have the other people in the in the Bon Appetit world who are kind of hanging around in those episodes, helping her out. People step in to like give thoughts on different, you know, drafts of foods and stuff. And then you start to meet the other people in the universe, like Chris Morocco, and uh, then start watching his show, which is where he re has to. Um, he's a super taster, and he has to recreate. Um, well-known recipe, I mean, kind of quote-unquote well-known, but recipes from famous chefs like um, Snoop Dogg and Guy Fieri um, that he <laughs> only gets to spend five minutes with the dish, totally prepared. He's blindfolded. He gets to taste it and touch it. Stop. And smell That's it. so impressive. Yeah, and then he has to completely recreate someone who recreate spends it. like a full like 20 seconds being like, what is that I taste? Oh, it's basil. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It'll be like... <laughs> I mean, I could never do that. No, like, no, neither. It's it's actually pretty impressive to watch. And he's not making a gourmet version of whatever the thing is. He has to recreate it ingredient for ingredient. And he's graded on, like, how many he gets right and stuff, which is incredible. Um, also, one of the recipes that I made for Thanksgiving was Chris Morocco's. And he liked it on Instagram and messaged me. And I was... What? Almost fainted. Yeah. <laughs> so I took I a picture. I don't know who Chris Morocco is. The name sounds super famous. He's but like, that's cool. you know, he's just like they're all. I mean, now I know who he is, but I, I that doesn't I have was... a sort of emotional like. Oh no, I was like, I yeah, was but that's exciting. Bowled over. So I mean, all of these people are so delightful. There's Brad and his show It's Alive, which is about fermentation. There's Carla and her show Back to Back Chef, where she has a like kind of famous-ish person who doesn't know how to cook anything and she's trying to coach them through um, only the sound of her voice. Um, Making Perfect is another one where they try and make one thing over the course of like a quote-unquote season. So I just... This show, this everything on the Bon Appetit channel is so delightful. Um, Bobby, so I feel like we should have asked this before we started talking about it for fifteen minutes. But do we consider it television? Yeah, totally. You, like, That's the thing. I absolutely consider it television. Like both on so, the. So we are now conceiving as of YouTube as being in the same sort of universe as like 
Netflix and Hulu. I mean, this is the thing. I think there is original programming there. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you start... I mean, YouTube does advertise, you know, on television right now. They basically just advertise for, like, YouTube as an entity, not really for specific things, especially because they're not producing these shows. But, like, I mean, you could also get the Bon Appetit... um, you could, if you have like a smart TV, you can also like I made it. I have an Apple TV. You can add it as like a, a widget or a channel, like you know. So I mean, yeah. but I definitely consider it television, even though what they are essentially is marketing videos. But like, I mean, there's the episodes are structured like TV shows. There's again like this element of you know tension and drama and flirting between you know some people and like i just i absolutely and it's bingeable so that's got you know like that's a qualifier these days i totally consider it television um and i mean i would too i yeah i don't think i was pushing back on it too much just was like huh interesting yeah no totally and i wouldn't have i went into it being like okay yeah these are just like you know yeah they're marketing videos um but I came out thinking uh, that they were, in fact, actual programming. Um, And, you know, so if you are feeling down or tired or, you know, don't want to invest your brain too heavily in any kind of anything, I just I strongly suggest heading over to the Bon Appetit YouTube and just starting to poke around because I guarantee you, you will have watched you know, 10 episodes of gourmet makes before you know what happened to yourself. So I yeah. love it. Um, I think I will, that, that seems like a good, that seems like good. Fare. Check it out. Um, I would also recommend, I'm now realizing that like I had you start talking about this cause I, we were jumping around in the dock. Um, so we will just go back to the other stuff, but, um, the great British bake off holidays. Similarly, it's just, it's just more, Low, it's even the, the stakes are even lower <laughs> right, the than they holidays. are during the regular <laughs> <laughs> yeah. during the regular like, season. Yeah, it's just like one day or, two, or one weekend, and it's just kind of like, are you? Did you win this contest this weekend against three other people? I um, really deeply appreciate the British dedication to, or I guess maybe the European dedication to Christmas foods, which I don't think that America has quite as much you know I like think there's so many different well because some americans have british christmas some americans have like jewish christmas right yeah. some americans have italian christmas like we always have spaghetti and meatballs mm-hmm. and like i think and uh, the typical american thing would be like i guess ham yeah i guess but but like british people i think always have turkey but we don't have turkey on christmas because that's for thanksgiving right we just had to eat, eat a so whole so i think we just turkey. have much more yeah. of a variety of different cultures celebrating christmas while british people have like british christmas and there isn't quite the pastry tradition with christmas necessarily in the u.s right like in as much as they have with oh bake i don't know do they have a pastry thing I just know about, like, fruitcakes. That seems very British. Yeah, forget. but I mean, I feel like a lot of this stuff, or, like, you know, elaborate, like, sw- I think one of the ones I was watching, they were making the crazy, um, was it, like, a Swiss, uh, like, a very thin sort of waffle thing that was sort of, like, designed to look like a snowflake that actually hung oh, from a little... Oh, Icelandic. Yeah, yeah, like, kind of wild winter... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. desserts like that. I feel like I very much that was Icelandic though, so I'm not sure. Like true, that was like not a quite fried European. Bread. Yeah, um, but like, but I mean, I feel like the the dedication to. I mean, they just like game pies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the holidays. Uh, baking tradition in 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 uh, Europe. I'm very impressed. Yeah, with it's it. also like very Christmas forward. I will yes. say, not it's very like holiday. Kind of like all Christmas. <laughs> my my secular like spidey sense goes off where I'm just kind of like, mm, you're saying Christmas a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Do we you're know the holiday in the, the name? The people but here celebrate Christmas. This is about Christmas. <laughs> no one is making latkes on. This. I'm like very well trained from like. <laughs> up just like mm, we call it a holiday party right <laughs> right no one is making latkes no one is uh yeah at no point do they Kwanzaa. mention hanukkah which just seems so like i think a very american like if the americans had that they'd be like now we're also gonna have like a kwanzaa portion and a right. hanukkah portion exactly and like i don't know latkes are great latkes are great but pretty much the only <laughs> other food that you do with with hanukkah is jelly donuts which i think actually would be a fun uh yeah. great british bake-off challenge although not particularly challenging for any of them but yeah it is delightful and it's just like it's so nice and they really like you know they put i mean even though it's clearly you know august or whatever when they film these because the trees are all green outside (laughs) they're like making them wear coats i just think that they don't i think (laughs) they're making them wear sweaters well one of the episodes i was like okay clearly this was in like november and then another episode i think it might have been march because like did you get what did you do for new year's they ask him i'm like wait are we just just, <laughs> we're just they're straight just not up pretending now they're the, the holidays have fully happened <laughs> and yeah. we're just gonna send you guys back in time please put on this reindeer uh <laughs> sweater and call it a day yeah i mean yeah. great british bake-up holidays is i mean it's definitely i don't and i haven't been watching it as long as you so i don't have um i mean there are only four episodes total so they've only released two for the that's year. true and the last time we had two was like a year or two ago yeah yeah True. It's just like I feel like they could could do a little bit more, but you know, um, well, the, the holiday season is, is back. Only, but as we know, especially because the holiday season can literally be any time of year. So exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that's a good one. But so I also had put a good place in here, but you are not caught. We up. should and talk about it next time for sure. I really good episode. So yeah, and I'm not everyone. Your I do appreciate. To, um. I do really appreciate how much Eleanor is kind of taking charge of uh, yeah. the situation to avoid all of their, I mean, you know, I really, the evolution of Eleanor is, is generally something to behold on this show, but she's really, yeah, I yeah. think in her whole kind of tortured thing with Chidi this season is, is. Yeah, there's a good Chidi episode <sighs> is the most recent one. Uh, Maya Rudolph is back. Um, oh, good. There's a really great moment that like, with Janet that we'll talk about that like I'll be like walking down the street and just like remember and start laughing um anyway it's really good so everyone's homework is to watch get caught up on the good place before our next episode everyone uh, everyone's homework should also be if you haven't yet to google the pictures of Jason Mendoza um Manny getting um or uh, sorry Manny Jacinto uh uh Manny Jacinto um plays Jason Mendoza being arrested in DC protesting um, uh, for climate I change you were just policy. Mention his like shirtless photos, and I was like, that too. That too, but honestly, he looks just. I mean, it's like just an icon getting arrested with Jane Fonda um, in DC, and it's 
wonderful. So good. Um, he's wearing some fantastic glasses. Just it, it, Google those pictures also if you haven't seen them yet. Um, but I mean, we stand many his here. Cheekbones that could cut glass. Uh, I know those cheekbones. Absolutely insane. Um, I really hope that Manny Jacinto uh, gets to be a lot more famous after this show ends. Yeah, you know? I, I could see that happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, wait. So what else have we watched these past, weeks. I guess, three weeks? Um, well, something I was watching, um, you know, again, this is just going with my absolute refusal to watch anything with any sort of plot, but I did watch um, basically Queer Eye Takes Japan. Um my roommate was telling me about that. Yeah, you know, like, I had some issues with it. We don't have to get too far into it, but, you know, it was entertaining. I mean, there's only four of them, so it's, like, entertaining and it's Queer Eye, and there's only four missing. of them. Um, but it's basically Queer Eye goes to who, Japan. Who's missing? Why was it only four? Um, they only did four. It was, it was all, the whole regular cast, only four episodes. Um, oh, yeah. oh okay. but all the regular guys. Um, all the regular people were were there um gotcha. but only four episodes um and and so you know yeah like i said entertaining i don't really i didn't really have a great i think don't really have a great understanding of kind of you know modern japanese culture <laughs> or ancient japanese culture but um i think that you know the the look with this show was, you know, the queer eye, um, the queer eye guys coming to Japan and and doing, you know, kind of makeover episodes with four Japanese people, and they have a um, Japanese American woman like model. She's an influencer named Kiko with them, and she's sort of their cultural translator. And there's also a literal translator, of course. Um, but you know. I don't really get why it was necessary to do this. I think that it had all these weird implications of kind of American imperialism here. Hmm. Like it's obviously Western and Eastern culture, very, very, very different, especially concerning things like sexuality, um, you know, gender roles, um, psychotherapy all kind of issues that come up in these episodes with the people that they are um that they are are focusing on the the subjects of the episodes um and you know i mean like they're kind of forcing this very american way of thinking into all of these situations the the queer eye people don't adjust there <laughs> there's no real adjusting in the approach um hmm. for a japanese um for a japanese you know i'm trying not to say like subject like they're test subjects but you know participant um and you know it's like okay so we're trying to make these people more confident more empowered like we would in the american version um but i think that there was a lot of context missing and and this this woman kiko would kind of step in occasionally and try and provide some of that context um but she's also a straight woman a a cis cis heterosexual woman um and i think has more insight into some of these situations uh than others i mean you know there's an episode where they do uh there's an episode where they they um 
uh, are making over a, a gay Japanese man. Um, the culture towards homosexuality in Japan is still very conservative. You know, gay marriage is not legal. Um, you don't really, people don't really talk about sexuality much publicly um, at all. Um, and you wouldn't really refer to your, you know, I think it seems like even now, even in Tokyo, you wouldn't really refer much openly to like your boyfriend or your girlfriend if you have a same sex partner. Um, and not only that, but kind of there aren't, there isn't a lot of public, you know, there aren't a lot of public displays of emotion or affection generally in that culture. People don't really say, you know, I love sure, you I publicly. Say anything about this with any authority that won't. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I was actually reading a, a Medium article that was by um, a Japanese-American gay man and who was kind of adding a lot of the context to this okay. um, that was sort of missing from the show somewhat. And so, you know, and I read a couple of pieces. It seems like a lot of kind of more European, Amer I mean, more American media, like outlets were a lot more praising of the show than were individual um, people of Japanese, you know, American heritage, because uh, I read a few different articles that were kind of from that perspective that were pretty critical of the show. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think that it could be interesting to have this show that is kind of through their perspective, doing the Queer Eye sort of approach that's kind of modulated um, for an Eastern audience, you know, and maybe that also just brings, I mean, I know it's an hour long show, so you can't necessarily, but I'm like, what if they had done another episode that was just kind of about the culture in Japan and kind of showed that as a precursor? No one would watch that. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, I would find it, I think that you, your general queer eye audience, honestly, is pretty, probably like kind of, you know, pretty educated, uh, pretty highly educated. And like, I kind of think that maybe that would have been, or at least you could do like a shortened episode, but I just felt like there was so much context missing and it felt like these guys just really forcing one kind of way of being onto another people of another culture. And it felt kind of weird. I mean, again, it was like very entertaining and sweet. And like, there were elements of every episode that were really, that were really touching. Um, but there was also a lot of things, especially having read these articles that were like, oh, no, what you don't understand is X, Y, and Z. Um, and that doesn't mean that I think, you know, cultural values that have been in place for thousands of years shouldn't be challenged also. Um, but, you know, especially in a culture where there is a lot of homophobia, a lot of misogyny, you know, um, and where people kind of need to fit inside. I was talking to my sister about it a little bit, who just spent six weeks um, in Japan, and she's been there several times. And, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot, just a lot of very traditional gender roles still in, in Japan. Yeah, um, I've, I definitely have heard that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm not saying that no, those assumptions should never be challenged, but yeah, I didn't kind of expect to wind up having so many thoughts about queer eye were in Japan. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I did. And, and it's interesting because I was also watching another show called Japanese Diner. I mean, sorry, called Midnight Diner, which is a Japanese show um, that has aired in Japan since 2009 in different installments. Um, 
there've been five seasons, I think. And the most recent season actually was acquired by um, Netflix Japan. Um, and they now produced the most recent season. Um, and I think there's two seasons on Netflix. Um, but it was kind of, it was interesting. I, I watched these kind of in, in simul- I watched these kind of simultaneously. And I, I haven't seen all of Midnight Diner because there's probably you know, I think there's something like 20, 25 episodes on Netflix and I've maybe seen six of them. Um, but also a really sweet, it's, a, it's an interesting show that that gives, I think, additional, gave me at least additional insight sort of to some aspects of, of Japanese culture, which um, was pretty interesting, especially because there are episodes of this show that deal with kind of prejudices about homosexuality and, um, you know, kind of different, you know, non-traditional relationships and things like that and how these characters process, um, you know, these kind of all sorts of life situations. This is like an anthology show um, where you have a a guy who runs a diner that operates from midnight to 7 a.m. And it's just kind of each episode is about a different customer that comes into his diner and whatever they're kind of dealing with at the moment. Um, and so this is kind of continuing the food theme for me, but, um, it's a really sweet show. Uh, aspects of it are sort of a little bit corny, I think maybe for, you know, just, there's always kind of a lesson learned. (laughs) Um, but I really, liked this show and it was an interesting compliment to watch kind of in and especially to see a little bit I think maybe how some of the earlier episodes that I was watching I think were ones that were from several years ago and it's been on Netflix I think for maybe like three years um and you can kind of I don't know it was kind of interesting to wonder if if sort of the culture um has has like I guess evolved at all in a way, I mean, American culture and attitudes towards a lot of things regarding sexuality and how we talk about sexuality and in, in like the discourse have changed hugely in 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of just wondering if there was, you know, anything similar going on here for a show that's been in, in, in installments uh, over the last 10 years um, with I think the most recent one being produced in 2000 in 2018 I think but I also just recommend this show I think it's it's a cool slice of life kind of show with I mean again I don't I haven't watched a lot of stuff that um is of an eastern um I think like that has been produced you know from an eastern perspective and um the other great thing about this show is that every episode is named after a different dish um, that the proprietor of this diner um, is making for someone. And so you kind of get to see him make the dish and like that's sort of the enjoyment of it. He only has like four things on the menu at his diner, but he'll make anything his customers want as long as they bring him the ingredients. <laughs> so um, a lot of people bring in kind of dishes that they feel nostalgic for. And there's a lot of like a theme of sort of family and nostalgia and relationships throughout it and kind of how evocative different foods are um, in kind of provoking like memories of different experiences throughout your life. Um, So I think it's a really cool, it's a really cool uh, little Netflix show. Um, 
and can you also also easy to lose yourself in so i kind of went right into that since i was already talking about japanese shows on on netflix but those are kind of the two things that i was also doing a lot of consuming of uh over the last few weeks cool yeah um, so I watched um, The Watchmen. Yes, which was previously a a not watching for me. Uh, which it... I just like let you say, um, and I didn't push back on it because I was like, yeah, I won't watch a show about superheroes. Here's the thing, though. Turns out it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard and, this <laughs> ever since. And like, turns out when we when we both decided, yeah, we'll put this as our not watching, we hadn't really known what it would be about. No, I think I vaguely thought comic books. Uh, well, which yes, but it's, it's so much more than that. Yeah, but it's um, okay. So first of all, let me start this whole discussion by saying I had like. I need to emphasize that I was completely blind going into this. I like, had no idea what I was about to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you hadn't really done much I, reading about it or anything. No, yeah. I saw that, like, I had read, I I hadn't cared. I heard people were watching and people were all excited. And then I saw some, like, tweets about how the first episode had been about the Tulsa race riots of 1921. And I was like, oh, interesting. Maybe this show is not just, like, about, like, superheroes. Um and then started seeing more and I was like okay this show sounds actually super interesting so I went back and watched I have I'm only four episodes in right now there have been six episodes and apparently the sixth episode it was written by Cord Jefferson Mm -hmm. um, but apparently the sixth episode is really good so I'm looking forward to getting to that it is pretty like bingeable but I've only been watching them one episode at a time because they're it's not so much that they're like um, the first episode's really intense, but they also, um, they're confusing. I'm not sure what's going on for the most part. You're definitely dropped into this world. And um, and I should say that also, I, I one, people have been saying to me when I've told them I've been watching The Watchmen, they've been like, who's watching The Watchmen? You're watching The Watchmen. It's like, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Have said that, <laughs> now that I realize that this must be some sort of saying from the, the book or from the movie. Yeah. I also didn't know that there had been a movie. Oh, you didn't know there'd been a movie. I remember no, the I, movie and I remembered the phrase who's watching the Watchmen, I think from that era. Well, now I I just feel like I've been really taken on a crash course about this. Um, <laughs> didn't know that there had been a movie, but I also should say I read the graphic novel. Oh, really? I read it in like 2009. I actually still have my friend Brandon's copy that he lent me and I've never given back, um, which reminds me I should give it back to him. But like... <laughs> I read it and I remember thinking like it's good didn't fully get it I'm not a huge like graphic novel comic book person in general um just they you know not like I think they're bad or anything but they just don't always do it for me but this I was like this is good I have vague memories of a blue person and I have memories of like a yellow smiley face and the name Adrian Veidt and an owl okay that is and I thought watching the show things would come back to me. I would start to remember this book. A hundred percent not the case. <laughs> I, like, literally, I don't remember anything. Um, not, none of this sounds... Like, I remember that the blue guy was naked. That came back to me. I was like, oh, yeah, he was naked in the book. Um, Does watching it make you want to revisit the series? No. Okay. Don't you don't feel like it's no. necessary. I don't need to read a graphic novel twice, yeah. probably. Um, I also was just... It, my tolerance for like dude focused things 
is even less than it was 10 years ago when I read it. Mm-hmm. So I definitely don't think I would enjoy it as much as I, whatever, however much I enjoyed it then. So, um, but it took me like a good couple episodes to realize that the reason I wasn't remembering any of this plot that was happening was because it was, it took, it takes place like a generation after the comic book did. Okay. It's in present day. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. But it's the same so, characters. It's the same. Yeah. It's like the same some of the same characters and there's like it's the same universe um and uh but and there are clearly things that i'm supposed to realize were references Mm -hmm. to the book that i didn't at the time i'm like why are squids falling from the sky this is really random well apparently that that has something to do with what happens in the book Mm -hmm. um but it takes place in present day and the the situation is basically um Robert Redford is president and he's like kind of like president for life. He's been president forever and he but he's this like super liberal dictator basically. Um so he has enacted reparations for African Americans and they call him Redfordation. So there's a bunch of just like really <laughs> disaffected yeah. They're disaffected like white people that are like really upset by it. This in this in this universe, like Richard Nixon is revered by the white people as being having been a really good president. It seems as if he had never been removed from office. Vietnam Vietnam is like the fifty first state, so the flag is completely different. Um, because Doctor Manhattan, the blue guy, had helped them win the war. I guess that was in the book. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But um, what's really so? I should start the the very first scene. The very first episode is as I mentioned about the Tulsa race riot of 1921, which is a thing that we are not taught about in school. Absolutely not. Yeah. And so I, it got me to like, it's really intense scene. Basically, I kind of go through the history a little bit Mm -hmm. because it's at the beginning and I think it helps to know what you're watching Mm -hmm. while you're watching it. Um, But in 1921, and I'm going to get the history a little bit wrong, but there was a, because I don't remember all the details right now, but a black man who's like like only 19 maybe he was arrested for allegedly assaulting a white 17 year old elevator operator in Tulsa okay and he was like taken to the courthouse and somehow what happened was this is the part where I might have it a little little fuzzy but the um uh, a rumor went around that white people were planning to lynch the 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 black guy who had been arrested mm-hmm. um, or something. There, there was some, some rumor went around. And at this time, this neighborhood in Tulsa, there was this neighborhood referred to as Black Wall Street because it was this super affluent um, black community. Like there was a lot of wealth and like families and middle class homes and things like that. So um, the, a bunch of black people went to the courthouse, I think, to like protect this guy. Um, and then some white people showed up and like shots were fired or something and 13 people died or about like a dozen people died. Majority of them were white. Mm -hmm. So that set off this riot through this neighborhood, this, this wealthy black neighborhood, um, where like people with like people with private planes, like white people with private planes were just like gunning down people flying overhead the neighborhood, um, like homes and stores were being ransacked. Like women and children were murdered. Um, it it it's re- it's really horrifying, and the scene is incredibly intense. Um, it's not gratuitous um, or like gory. There are no points where I felt like I look, I needed to look away. Mm-hmm. Just 
it was, but it was still really intense and powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and it only lasts eight minutes, but you or like five or eight minutes, but you feel like it was longer. But um, uh, but the interesting thing about this was that the no one ever really talked about this after it happened. Like the initial estimates were like twenty four people died according to the city, but the Red Cross was like, it was more. And there's a commission, like the Oklahoma government formed a commission in like 1960-something to look into this. And they finished their report in like 2001, when they found that basically it was probably between like 200 and 300 people who were killed. Hmm. But the other aftermath was like the neighborhood was completely destroyed. 100,000 people, like at least, were displaced, yeah. made homeless, left T Tulsa, like left the city, you know, all this. Um, and no one ever really talked about it. It wasn't in the history books, obviously. And the 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 other aspect of it was that the city had turned a blind eye to it while it was happening. They kind of had given the white rioters this tacit like like there were no fire trucks showing up. The police didn't show up to put a stop to it, which is why it lasted for so many like days or whatever. Um, it's a really horrifying piece of history that we're just not taught about, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and this, the show just starts with that. And that's like its starting point to this alternate history where there's, you know, these masked vigilantes. The interesting thing um, that I found the most intriguing about the show is, so in in the book, I guess there's, they outlaw masked uh, vigilantism, like basically superheroes, right? Um, and the senator in the show, he enacts a law that allows the police to be masked because they had been a, this group of white supremacists called the, the Seventh Cavalry, the something cavalry with a K, had um, went and attacked, like targeted all these police officers that had been um, like either enforcing reparations or what have you. And they... Um, so now the police officers can wear masks to protect their identity hmm. and it's just in Oklahoma. So it's this, anyway, it's very, I think it's just in Oklahoma. So the tension of this, right, you have the, the first episode starts with this, this, this white supremacist group basically coming back from the underground saying, we're back and we're going to like kill you all, um, like all you race traitors. They come back and the police force is like, we have to stop them. And so the interesting thing is like, you're obviously rooting against this white supremacist group. They all like love this one guy, Rorschach, who's apparently Ted Cruz's favorite. Oh, cool. <laughs> <Superhero>. <laughs> like, which is Ted Cruz. Jeez. Um, I think he didn't really get the message. But he, um, so they, the police are like out to stop them. So you're rooting against them. But but it's not clear how you're supposed to feel about the police. They're these masked vigilantes. They are violating the civil rights of the people that live in like the Nixonville trailer park. You know, they are, they are authoritarian and acting as the police state. And in our current climate where it's the police that are on, you know, typically on the other side, it's a weird sort of tension um, that I'm like, you're, as you're watching, you're like trying to figure out. It's like this sort of cognitive dissonance. Hmm. Um, and I think it's very on purpose. Hmm. Cavalry's back. Three years of peace. And we convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. Good thing we know where their caves are. So roll into Nixonville and round them up and drag their asses into the pod for interrogation. One of them's gonna give up the shooter. Warren's three weapons hot? We are. 
Article 4. Panda, buzz out the guns. Where it's like, what, what do you do if, like, the authoritarian police state, like, um, a militarized police, like, are trying to enforce liberal ideals? You know, it's obviously problematic. Like, it's not actually that complicated, but... Huh. But when you're like, it, but it's against white supremacists that are trying to kill people. Sure, right. So that it's kind of complicates your feelings about it. Yeah. Yeah, like they're fighting terrorism. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's it's a complicated feeling. You obviously know the answer is like, no, you, everyone gets read Miranda rights and you don't beat people up, you know. Right, in any situation. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. Anyway, but the cast is great. Regina King is the main character and she's obviously fantastic. Yeah, like, Regina predictably. King rules. Um, Gene Smart is in it. Um, Don Johnson, who I'm here for the Don Johnson revival that's happening now, because if you all haven't seen Knives Out yet, you should go see Knives Out. You need to do that. funny in it. So is, and so does The Watchmen, so it takes place in this alternate universe, but is there, I think, is there like, is there a, um, are there more, I guess, are there more superhero, are people, do people have any, like, extra human powers or is it just that they're you know kind of vigilante you know i think that was where i sort of always had thought that there was this like um they are very good fighters but right but they're not like superhuman so some of the masked vigilantes yeah no this isn't like an x-men kind of situation yeah there's the one guy dr manhattan the blue naked guy Mm -hmm. who lives on mars now Mm -hmm. in this show and he clearly used his powers for I think there's like alternate science, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem as if like it's not like Superman from another planet sure. or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Like, there's there's a Vietnamese trillionaire who's like building this thing that we clearly don't have the technology for. It's not clear to me that she's using magic or anything. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think she is. So interesting that my assumptions about it were so <laughs> different from yeah from from what the actual show is i think i always just had that yeah i had this x-men-ish perception about it yeah exactly and i don't quite think it's that yeah um i'm still trying to figure it out yeah i'm only four episodes in and there have only been six Mm -hmm. and i don't remember anything about the book yeah i'm I'm like a great person to be telling you all well no i mean i think that's interesting but i think it's good you know i would be starting from the same level zero you know and i think i would have thought okay this sounds like but i i've read a lot of people a lot of other tv people that i i respect kind of sharing a similar uh sentiment about this show that um they don't totally get it (laughs) um but that it's very it's still they 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 still um really enjoy what the show's doing and the stories yeah, it's like, telling and the characters in. it's you know it's giving us um yeah you don't know what's happening necessarily or why but you're like soon i'll find out i gotta keep watching yeah um so it definitely hooks you in i i do think you would like it yeah i um, i i think pretty much immediately you know i wrote it off you know again for the reasons we sort of discuss um erroneously <laughs> um before and uh, I I think I just totally had a perception about the the show that turns out to really not be the case. And then you know, right in the in the meantime, I've read lots of just heaping praise uh, about this show. So I do think that it's something I should when I when I have an appetite for meteor plot again, uh, should definitely should definitely give a shot to. 
Yeah. 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 Um, and like, I will say, like, you won't ha- have any idea what's going on, but you'll you learn at a very steady pace yeah. about things. Things start to fall into place. Maybe not what you've been confused about before, but um, there is a sort of like learning curve payoff. Mm-hmm. So, and didn't you watch The Man in the High Castle? No, I thought you did for some reason. Okay, um, but I mean, I'm interested in. I actually think that alternate histories are are pretty fascinating like it, it is to, yeah. to contemplate just you know uh especially consider you know especially when it comes to like right who our leaders are and things like that obviously things that just make such a massive difference in our foreign policy choices and our you know like the way right, like right. it's just interesting right there are so many things that um, I haven't actually seen the, the Man in the High Castle, but I've read it, um, and I always thought, you know, right, I mean, like, if any of a lot of, you know, right, if a lot of our, like, f- foreign entanglements had gone a different way, things could be so different. <laughs> right. Um, and, yeah, and I, I, so anyway, I think, I think the idea of foreign, I mean, of, um, of, of alternate histories is pretty fascinating, so I think definitely something to, to consider. It's on HBO, right? It's on yeah. HBO, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I recommend it yeah. heartily to people. I think, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really good, and I'm excited to get to the sixth episode. So um, that's what I will be doing this weekend. Um, but what else are you watching this weekend? Um, well, I do need so. to ca- get, definitely got to catch up on the Good Place. Got to do that. Um, that's okay. a priority. Good answer. That was yeah. You passed. That's a priority. Um, something terrible that's happening this month terrible slash great is that the new season of the l word um generation q um which i can only assume stands for generation queer um uh debuts this next week uh on showtime um I was a massive L Word person back in its day. The L Word was on from 2004 to 2009. I watched the finale of The L Word at at town at a <laughs> at a group. Oh my god! Um, at a big finale watching party. That's amazing. Yep, at a uh, town is since closed was. gay bar. Yep, yeah. we're one out for. Per town um the end of the l word was horrific uh the last season is just inner like just completely universally derided it's terrible um so but you know this is a this is the revival there's some of the same characters some new characters kind of interesting again i was i kind of mentioned this earlier but like um the l the l word went off the air in, in 2009 and just like things are very different now <laughs> um so yeah yeah, that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, I think, to see, you know... It could be bad, but it'll be interesting. It'll, yeah, I mean, The L Word is always very campy. Um, it's telling important stories. It's the first show that had an all-lesbian and bisexual cast. Um, but, you know, of, of characters, anyway. Not necessarily the actors. Although I think a lot of them also um, identified as queer. But, um, you know, anyway, that debuts on Showtime next week. I'm definitely going to be watching it. Um I will talk about it. <laughs> I kind of can't wait. <laughs> nice. What about um, you? I'm going to be watching Dublin Murder. So I mentioned it yep. last time, so I won't go into detail about it, but it's the the, the, sh- the show based on the Tana French book, In the Woods. Um, it 
premiered on Stars in the U.S. It's already done, wrapped up in the U.K. Um, and and Ireland, I'm assuming. Um, but it came to Stars on November 10th, and right now there's been four episodes, or there'll be four by the time this podcast goes to print, if you will. Um, so by the time it hits the um, presses, yep, yeah, <laughs> it hits the presses in your local newspaper boxes. Yep. Um, so I'm gonna just find a way to watch that um, totally legally. Obviously, it's not on Acorn. Not an Acorn no. thing. No, Acorn just gives you. Acorn doesn't give you that. Yeah, is it? But it's not. Yeah, it's not like a, a foreign. It's a. Show. It's on Star, so I'm pretty sure the only way you can get it yeah. is to watch. Okay, so we'll look forward to you watching that. Do I will? Legally. I would never like try to watch it illegally somewhere. No, you would never. You would never. I would never. You would never do that. Um, um, yeah. What are you not so, watching? Oh, so what? What we should? What, no one should watch. We should all not. Watch. <laughs> all collectively as a country, we should not watch. <laughs> In keeping with our holiday, upcoming holiday theme, there's a show called Merry Happy Whatever, which um, stars Dennis Quaid, who will always have a place in my heart for The Parent Trap, starring Lindsay Lohan, but has been knocked down some pegs because of his recent marriage to someone a year younger than his son, Jack Quaid. Right. Um, She's like 22 years old or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Dennis Quaid is like 60. Yeah. And she's like twenty five, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, or something like so that. So we're feeling so. some feelings about Dennis Quaid already these days. Yeah, so like gross. That's like worse than Meredith Blake and The Parent Trap. Um, and but anyway, it's a show about a um, it's so it's a Netflix show. So all the episodes are up. It has a laugh track, which is such a deliberate choice on Netflix's part because it's definitely not, I don't think it's filmed in front of a live studio audience. I'm willing to be corrected on that. Um, but it has a laugh, laugh track and the What a choice in this day and age. It's so, it's like they're trying to do something, right? They're trying to be an old school, like, sitcom, but it's not that funny. I watched the first five minutes because, not because I thought it would be good. My friend Dave and I last night were like, let's watch we well, let's watch like a dumb Hallmark movie. And like we looked at the Netflix like Christmas things. So we're like, this looks stupid. So we watched that and we <laughs> This looks idiotic, so we watched three minutes. episodes. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we only watched five episodes or five minutes of it. <laughs> yeah, it was we turned it we're like, This isn't this isn't funny. The premise is like Dennis Quaid is a sheriff and his daughter's girlfriend comes home for the holidays with her from LA and he's in a band and the jokes are very much like him just being like, like, how do you pay the rent? And like the laugh track goes off. It's very stupid. So don't watch it. it, But it also, it got like a holiday aspect to it. Right. Like Mary. Well, yeah. It's like, he's home for Christmas. That's what's so weird. Okay. Got it. Doing a second season next Christmas. Maybe they will be Mary. I don't know. But the, the main guy is just like, very schlubby and unremarkable. The, it's just this is just a, another of like you know Netflix throwing stuff against the wall syndrome. Um, it it a hundred percent is. And yeah, I don't think we should we should we should not let Netflix get away with it. So don't watch it. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how much longer they will. I, I, I it's it's really for a for a you know like hemorrhaging money on these kinds of things. Like I don't. It's such an odd. It's such an odd choice, but. Um, yeah. All right, so Mary Happy Whatever, definitely no one should be yeah. permitted to watch. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't do it. Maybe it's not, not even ironically. Yeah, we'll sh- use this as a, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> use it as a punishment for small children. <laughs> um, all right, 
I think uh, so. We're gonna come back at you in limit. December, possibly with our some of our favorites of the year. Maybe yes, yeah. we're gonna do our um, our boobies. Yeah, <laughs> <That we're gonna laughs> with our best awards. shows, uh, our favorite shows that have aired since the year two thousand two. That's what we're gonna. We should just call them the booby tubies. Yeah, booby the booby tubies. <laughs> tubies. Okay, that's it. That's cute. Okay. Yeah. So stay tuned next. Time. Yeah, next <laughs> time. <laughs> we'll be back. Time. We'll definitely be back before the end of the year. Um, yes. All right. Bye, Amanda. Bye, Sarah. Good night.